G'day, welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Today, show 135, it's Easter and everyone's going to be out there rushing around to their camping spots to... <laughs> go and pack themselves in like sardines, you know, just to get away from it all. I'll be doing my best to stay at home, I think. Uh, Easter this weekend, so Ken Wilson from Truck Friendly is joining us to have a little bit of a chat about his Truck Friendly program, his Facebook page, and, and that he's got going along. Um, Michael Kane, the National Secretary of the Transport Workers' Unions, joining us. And, of course, Andy's in with his usual music interview. He's got Rachel Whitchurch today, which is a great little interview couple of tunes from them as well. Now, there is another important anniversary this uh, weekend, or this week. It is the anniversary of Razorback. 44 years ago, a bunch of guys were standing on the top of Razorback, freezing their bums off and uh, protesting for their rights. It was the largest act of insurrection since Eureka, and sadly, most people don't even know about it. All I've got to say about Razorback personally, I've written about it several times, is that none of the big companies were doing anything about road taxes. The master carriers were doing nothing about it. The Transport Workers Union were doing nothing about it. No one was doing anything about it. Six baggy-assed, hairy-legged truck drivers had to stop the country to get something done about it. And then they were betrayed in the end. And the question's why. Why did it come to this? Anyway, Michael Kane opened the door to it when we had our interview and we had a little bit of a chat about it. If you want to listen to Ted Stevens' story, we've turned it into an audio book voiced by Andy. Anyway, think about it. Razorback, Easter, what a weekend. Let's get the show going. Let's get this show on the road. Yes, get on with it. G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers. And when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road. But when we're on the road, we're listening to the On The Road. It was April 1979 and a cast of thousands of disillusioned truckies were making history, setting up a series of blockades the likes of which had never been seen before and most likely will never be seen again. Led by Ted Greenog Stevens and a small band of dedicated individuals, this massive wave of protest against unreasonable working conditions, unfair pay rates and unjust laws spread like wildfire from its home base atop Razorback Mountain. Razorback The Real Story is the book written by Ted Stevens that chronicles the dramatic days of the blockade, the battles with politicians and the media, and that time in history when truckies around the country united in a powerful force and said, enough. Razorback The Real Story has now been made into a beautifully produced audiobook, available for purchase at ontheroadradio.com.au Whatever you do, don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to discover all the facts and details of the Australian trucking legend that is simply known as Razorback. G'day, Andy here with this week's featured music artist. In the guest chair is a delightful young woman who was born and raised on country music. It's been said that her life reads like a country song, from her parents' shotgun wedding and her childhood spent living in a caravan travelling around Australia, 
to her guitar-playing husband and their babies named after long-gone country music stars, it's hardly surprising that she ended up singing her songs for a living. She started off at just five years of age learning the piano, then moved on to master the mandolin, guitar and banjo, and very early on realised that songwriting was something she just had to do. Now, while other kids her age were listening to the pop stars of the time, she was hanging on every word of the old-school songwriters like Bob Dylan and Graham Parsons. This shaped the way she crafted her own songs, and even from an early age, she didn't care if she was cool. She just wanted to say something profound and beautiful. Outlaw, her debut EP in 2016, opened at number one on the Australian Country iTunes charts. She sold out her launch show and went on to deliver a coast-to-coast Australian tour that she promoted, booked and funded herself. Let's fast forward to 2021 where she puts her everything into the following album, Finally Clear, which, like her previous EP, debuted at number one on the ARIA charts and was also nominated for two Golden Guitar Awards. She's toured alongside Oz music legend Adam Harvey, another tour with the wonderful Fanny Lumsden, and yet another with Felicity Urquhart and Josh Cunningham. Here with us to chat about her career and her brand new single, I'm Not Cool, is the fabulous Rachel Whitchurch. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining us on the road. Hello, Andy. Thank you for having me on the show. Now, just quickly, folks, this is our third attempt at this interview. We had a few dramas with lines and things before, so Rachel has very kindly come back for the third time to have a chat, which I'm sure will be even better than the previous two. But Well, listen, Andy, I thought you're the kind one because you've got to hear my boring stories again for the third time over. So, you know, who's really the kind one? Oh, I could hear them <laughs> over and over again. It's all good. <laughs> Rachel, five years as a kid spent literally on the road, living out of a caravan as your family travelled around Australia. That must have been a wonderful experience. Yes, it really was. And so from, you know, when I was 12 years old, my parents bought an old green Millard caravan and we hit the road. Nice. We lived in Broken Hill and so we would literally start January, we would head straight to Tamworth and we would do the Tamworth Country Music Festival and we would busk for 10 days on the street. And that would be at the beginning of our year's trip. And then we would literally just do a massive loop all the way around Australia and then end up back in Broken Hill for for Christmas. And so it was quite a vibe living on the road with six people in a caravan. But that was kind of just what we knew, right? Mm. And so we just thought it was normal. And so we'd do shows on the weekends and we would homeschool on the weekdays. And that was just life for us. Yeah, it would have been plenty of inspiration along the way for songwriting too, I expect. Definitely, yeah, because we were meeting people constantly from, you know, the people in the caravan parks to the people that we would meet at our shows, whether they be fans or just, you know, people working at the pubs and clubs. And another great thing was because we were were traveling and homeschooling the weekdays, my mum came up with a really interesting curriculum for us because she came up with all the curriculum. And so we would often go out into the town and investigate, you know, what the town was about and, you know, do assignments and things like that on the people in the town or what the town was famous for and so we ended up always crossing paths with a lot of different people Mm. and I think in some ways when I did have to go back to school I found it really hard to adjust to just being people my age Mm. because my parents always made sure that we had you know a wide scope of people from all walks of life all age groups and so that was definitely a challenge having to then go back to oh I just hang out with 15 year olds and I asked to go to the toilet (laughs) you know like so it was definitely an adjustment when we did have to come back off life on the road yeah I expect you to have come across the odd truckie along the way as well. 
Yes, plenty of truckies. I'm sure we bothered plenty of them on the UHF. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we would travel with two cars. And so we'd be talking to each other on the UHF. And then every now and then we'd get a truckie come in line and say, hey, guys, do you think you could pick another channel? Because yeah. <laughs> we'd just be, you know, talking crap <laughs> to each other on the UHF. Yeah, yeah. Especially when we were up in the Northern Territory and traveling around there, you know, there's no speed limits on a lot of those roads. Yes. And they've got those huge road trains, yep. the massive ones. We actually got really excited seeing them because you wouldn't see that down in some parts of New South Wales. So it was definitely many, many trucky along the road. Yeah. Now, just getting a little bit personal for a moment, but you said that after you released your debut EP, you realised your skin wasn't as thick as you thought it was dealing with criticism and rejection and comparison and how that affected your self-esteem and your family. Now, that's an experience I guess most artists have experienced at some stage of their life and their career. But for you, how did you ultimately deal with that? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic and it doesn't just relate to music, it can relate to many different industries. <laughs> but I think specifically to music, because you are obviously always in the public eye and people are literally taking your art and in some ways judging it, whether they like it or whether they don't. Yeah. For me, it was really important. You know, you see many people who are out doing music, right? And like, I think anyone can do music, anyone can create art. But when you see people that are chasing after their dream of becoming a successful artist, and it's at the expense of their family, if that makes sense, you know, whether it be a financial expense or a time expense. Yeah. That was always something that weighed heavily on me. I was like, I never want to be that person who is so hell-bent on chasing a dream that it costs my family. And so I do work really hard at trying to compartmentalize and, and making sure that I run a profitable business, not just in the sense of financial, but also in the sense of emotional too. Right. And also modeling to my kids what it looks like to try and fail and then try again. We talk a lot about failure with our kids. And so I think for me, like the way that I was able to do it was trying to think about what do I want my kids to see? How do I want them to learn to deal with failure and rejection? And yeah. whatever I want them to learn, then I have to model that. Yes. And so even, you know, when I was nominated for a couple of Golden Guitar Awards, I talked to them a lot about, hey, like mum has gotten this, you know, nomination. I don't know what nomination means. So I said, they said, I have one of the best five albums or whatever. And they're like, that's exciting. And then trying to talk to them about now it's a competition and I probably won't win, but, and trying to explain to them why, you know, it still felt good to me. Yeah. And so I think that's a challenge. But, you know, look, one thing we do in our family is we high-five our kids when they fail because we really want our kids to learn how to fail. Yeah. Because I think that many people don't and then that stops people from chasing after their dreams. So that's a very long-winded way of saying that the way I got through it was basically just trying to figure out what I wanted my kids to see and then trying to model that and then obviously having to learn that myself. <laughs> yeah, what a great approach. Uh, you mentioned your album there. When it came time to record it, you teamed up with the uber-talented producer Matt Fell Alongside a host of top musos, not to mention a little help from legends like Colin Buchanan and the amazing Kevin Bennett along the way, it's little wonder the album turned out to be such a gem and went on to achieve so much success for you. Yeah, Matt is just amazing. I'd never worked with him before, but many people that I admired worked with him and spoken highly of his work. And I definitely feel like he took the songs and really engaged with them and didn't just treat it like a job, but listened to the songs, understood them and then was able to kind of add a production to them that just further lifted the songs up. You know, I, I had no idea, like my first record, and I really let him take the full production lead. Yes. And I was just so pleased with what he did every step of the way. You know, when you watch him work, it's like watching some like crazy genius. Mm. Just goes into these zones. It's crazy. 
But yes, we also had a song that I co-wrote with Colin Buchanan. And I only had two co-writes on the record. I wrote most of the stuff myself. And one was with Colin and one was with my husband, Ben. Right. And then I also had Kevin Bennett come along and sing on one of my singles for me, a song called East and Girls an Outlaw. Couldn't think of anyone more outlawish than, yeah. um, than Kevin Bennett. Than Kevin. So. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a listen to your new single, I'm Not Cool, very shortly. Before we do, can you tell us about the background to writing the song? Where did it come from? Yeah, I wrote this one after a conversation with one of my friends, Fanny Lumsden, who's also a country music artist. In the music industry, there's a lot of cool people, like there just is, you know, people who are just like cool, just oozes out of them. Yeah. And so we were talking one day just about, I can't even remember who, but we were just saying they are just like such a cool person. And I'd said to her, even if I wanted to be that cool, I wouldn't even like know where to start. <laughs> like I wouldn't know how to pretend to be that cool. And yeah. so we were kind of making fun of ourselves. But when I got off the phone, I started thinking about all the things that society kind of says are ah, cool and aren't cool. And especially in Australian culture, you know, like one of the big things in Australian culture is that we don't get too excited about anything. Yeah. You know, we like play it cool, right? You yes. play it cool. Yeah. And so I just kind of had this idea, I'm going to list out all these things that I do that aren't very cool per se, and then write this song saying, well, I don't really care. I'm just going to still do them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of where it came about. Well, having spoken with you now three times. <laughs> That's right. And we've had the pleasure of having a chat with Fanny before and personally I think the two of you are very cool. Oh, thank you. There you go. Yes. Well, I think it's all personal, isn't it? You only ever see what someone puts across and I don't think any of us really feel that cool deep down, do we? I don't know. I think yeah. it's all a facade. <laughs> I think you might be right. So here we are in March already, Rachel. What does the rest of 2023 hold in store for you? Yeah, so many things. And this is just the first single of lots of new music to come. And I'm so excited to get that music out over the next year because I feel like Finally Clear was the first chapter for me and this is chapter two. Right. A lot of new music that I'll be releasing was all written from the beginning of 2020 through to, you know, the end of last year. And so that was like an interesting time for all of us, really, right? The last couple of years. Mm. And so... I'm really excited to kind of take people on that journey and, and show them what the experience was like for me. And I think there'll be many things that happened to me that other people can relate to. Obviously, the pandemic was a terrible thing, but it's an interesting concept to think about the fact that we all were going, everyone in the world was going through a similar thing at the exact same time. And I don't think many generations of people will get to say that. Yes. And it's probably the first time that we've had that sort of event happen where we could all be in contact with each other from either side of the world, you know, thanks to the internet. And so I think it's an interesting phenomenon that we're all facing the exact same thing and I'm excited to share what that looked like for me. And it was highs and lows and wins and losses and all sorts of things. And this song is just kind of the first of that. But there'll be tours, there'll be support slots and lots of new music. Yeah. Well, in the interest of following that journey with you, where can our listeners find out more about you, your music and any upcoming appearances, Rachel? Yeah, just all the normal social media platforms, the Facebooks, Instagrams, and TikToks. I'm very cool, so I've just joined TikTok. <laughs> well done. <laughs> There's all the proof that you're cool. They should go and watch it first, and then they can be the judge of whether I'm actually cool. So. <laughs> Fair cool. Yeah, but no, all those places, and then just my website, rachelwhitchurch.com, for new music, and obviously all the streaming platforms as well. Yep. Everywhere, all the normal places. Our featured guest this week has been the lovely Rachel Whitchurch, who, as you've seen, as it turns out, is in fact very cool. Hmm. Rachel, thanks heaps for coming out to play on the road with us today and the previous two attempts. It's been much appreciated. Oh, not a problem at all, and thank you for having me. It's been lovely to chat each time. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll keep doing it until we get it right. <laughs> Rachel, let's have a listen to your new single. Would you please introduce it for us? Yes, I would love to, Andy. Thank you. 
Well, I am Rachel Whitchurch and coming up next on the On The Road podcast with Andy is my brand new single. It's called I'm Not Cool. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. 
We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Well, it's been a while since we've had him on the show and he's going to join us on the radio station now because we've got that one going as well. So we're not live, mate. Don't worry about it. I'll, uh, I'll still edit out the naughty bits. Um, Michael Kane, welcome back. Oh, great to be here, Mike. Good, good, to, good to be here for another chat. Mate, it's the uh, halfway, well, we're heading towards halfway through the year already. Uh, there's been a bit going on in transport around the country. Uh, a little bit to chat about, some big news here and there. You'd be you'd be like a, a one-legged man in an ass-kicking competition, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's a bit like that, I've got to tell you, one end to the other, but nothing nothing that um, people listening to this don't understand being dragged from pillar to post. Oh. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, we've all got... We've all got our jobs to do, and um, and uh, yeah, it's a getting into a really busy time, but also some some important things coming up as well. So yeah, yeah happy to chat. Right, mate. I've got a few things for you. Just quickly, uh, oh, we could spend an hour on each of them. I think uh, the recent election in New South Wales. Let's just kick off with that. That's probably the safest bit of ground for us at the moment. Um, I just got a press release from the uh, the premier's office this morning, naming the cabinet, etc. John Graham obviously has got roads. Uh, Joe Halen's got transport, and Jenny Aitchison returns with that regional transport and roads portfolio. So that's the same team that was in the in the shadow uh, or shadow government before yeah. the election. And you may well be aware, or may not, that I had a long, long conversation with Jenny and uh, Sam Faraway before the election, and they put their uh, positions pretty clearly to the listeners. And they had some very different positions about the uh, Blue Mountains, for example. And, uh, and since then, obviously, the Premier's made statements about wanting to make New South Wales more truck-friendly and, and all that. I mean, I know that's a huge, huge uh, subject all on its own. Where are you guys on what you see as the most important things for, for your members and for trucking and transport in general uh, for them to be doing here? Oh, just a small question, Mike, to start just a, Just a little one, mate, just a little one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, the first thing to say is that, you know, it's not always the case that... Um, you know, when you've been in government for 12 years, that um, times come for a change. But I think, I think in this case, um, as the electorate has said, um, you know, this that the government did look tired. Um, it had been racked by you know various various scandals, as sometimes happens in governments after they've been in for a dozen years or so. And it is kind of refreshing, I think, for all of us to see a new team in place. And what you've said there about who's been assigned to the portfolios, it does show that there's a commitment to consistency. That is, these these names that you mentioned have been consistently putting out their views, um, particularly across the last three or four years, mm. um, about how they want to make some change. And part of that, of course, is the significant commitment in relation to tolls. 
Yep. Um, and the slashing of tolls uh, for truckies. You know, of course, we'd all we'd all love them to be slashed to zero, but we also have to um, look after the public purse, I guess. Um, but we'd love to see them zero. But there has been a big big reduction. Um, there'll be there'll be a cap of uh, ten trips a week. You know, the the average saving is going to be significant uh, for an owner driver. Uh, could be. Could be four thousand, could be much more than that a year um, for those that are using the Sydney market. So that's that's really significant. They've got a one point one billion um, package of upgrades uh, across Sydney and regional New South Wales for roads, mm. um, and another twenty million to add to the to the federal program for rest areas. So that's really important. All of those things are really important. I think the the kind of hallmark change, Mike, that we want to see occur, and this is an interesting one, as we, um, you know, as we're on another anniversary um, of Razorback, um, is that the Chapter Six, um, that arrangement that's existed since Razorback um, and just before Razorback in New South Wales, which allows some sustainability in the market and some equilibrium between employee fleets and non-employee fleets. We want to see that expanded to capture the gig economy because as we've spoken about on, on your show before, the gig economy is this kind of new tsunami threat that's coming not just for food delivery workers, um, but also for the heart of freight that's mm. going to pull down standards even further. So we want to see that piece of legislation cover the gig economy so we can get some more stability in place and maybe use that as a as an example for a future federal system in terms of covering the gig economy. So there's some really important things that can be done. Obviously, uh, you and I could have a long conversation about, and if I don't say this, my listeners will come after me with a baseball bat. <laughs> the TWU had a very, very different position about Razorback in 1979 to the position that you obviously have today. We do know that it's a uh, it was a well. It was the largest act of insurrection since Eureka, and uh, you know that none of those guys have ever been uh, inducted to the Hall of Fame. You know that? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it, it, it. It is a it is a a, a moment in our history mm. um, that is absolutely significant. And yeah, I know there's there were, the, the the union was um, and has been um, mentioned in dispatches across all of that time. <laughs> and and I, I'm almost relieved to say I wasn't there. Um, I, I was only eight years old. Yep. Um, but but um, that would be a cop out. It really. What's important to, to for people to understand about the TWU position at that time, for all of the all of the vitriol about it, and, and you know, I'm sure some of it's deserved. I wasn't there. Yeah. Um, but for all of the vitriol about it, what people need to remember about the TWU position in 1979 is that the TWU was involved in two very large pieces of trying to equalise the market yep. and Razorback just jumped in the middle of it. Mm. The two pieces were this, Mike. Mm. Um, there'd just been um, a massive campaign to lift employee wages um, and there, it was a successful campaign to lift employee wages by 15%. Don't forget that, you know, this is a, not long after the fuel shocks, not long after those cost of living crisis um, and still in the thick of it. Um, so there was a movement of employee wages by 15%. But what the TWU knew then, as we do now, and as we're trying to advocate for right across the, the transport economy, we knew then that the most important thing to do was to ensure that there was equilibrium in the market, that is... Um, sustainability as between employee fleets and contractors and owner drivers. Uh, and so right at the time of Razorback, we're in the process with the RAND government of putting in place those laws in New South Wales that I've just spoken about that mm. we want now to cover the gig economy. 
um, which would have um, and did eventually um, provide some equilibrium in the market, but not before Razorback. See, Razorback, as everyone knows, was was really about costs. It was about owner drivers being pinged for road maintenance taxes, mm. and um, and what we need as a road transport community of drivers is we need the capacity to have a tribunal somewhere we can go. If government wants to move um, taxes, if clients want to move our our wages lower, or if they want to impose on us new environmental standards, for example, we have to have somewhere to go to recover those costs. Now we didn't in Razorback. And that was part of the reason for the agitation. Uh, and, um, you know, we're, we're really committed um, as a union um, to getting something in place that will give us somewhere to go as owner-driver fleets, as contractors, as employees, to recover the costs if government put these charges up or if clients impose um, cost and costs on us. Um, we need to be able to go and recover those. Well, that leads us probably into the next thing I wanted to talk about, really. I mean... Glenn Stirl and his colleagues have made no secret about the the need for reform and, and a return to uh, some sort of a remuneration uh, tribunal without calling it that. I would be remiss just before we go on, uh, if I said, and, and I will say at this point too, that answer that you just gave, it, it makes me happy that you're across the history because you and I have never talked about that subject before. And I'm deeply gratified to, to hear you actually understand the history of it because I've written on it several times. <clears throat> Excuse me. The need for reform, I'm well on the record of saying that it is absolutely required. I struggle with the idea of, of set freight rates because my position on that's always been that if you set the rates, then that will be the rate. The union obviously supports that. And I would say too that after Razorback that none of the guys that were opposing it at the time kept paying uh, the road user charges. So where, where's the union now as far as the the government goes, it's, it's, it's really time for the rubber to hit the road. The, the your federal party's been in for a little while now and, and everyone's under control. What do you think, what do you think is happening? Yeah, well, I, I think, I think the time, the time has come and um, look, we've, we've spoken about this before. Well, yeah. Um, the road safety remuneration tribunal was a very, very powerful body. It was. Uh, yep. Unfortunately, the powers that it needed to invoke, it didn't invoke. And the powers that it shouldn't have invoked, at least till much later down the path, it did invoke. Yep. So it got it. It got it. Ass about, Mike. The whole idea of the road safety remuneration tribunal was that the tribunal would have looked at those pressures, the Razorback type pressures mm. um, that are imposed upon the industry, either by government charges or by clients at the top of supply chains imposing prices or imposing um, the cost of um, changing standards in the industry onto small fleets, owner-drivers, uh, contractors and employee fleets. That's what should have been done. Mm. And what we want to see this next uh, opportunity for legislation, it'll be up to all of us if we get it in place. I mean, if, put it this way, Mike. I've got to say this. I haven't heard. I haven't heard a lot of drivers that I've spoken to, a lot of owner drivers, contractors, employee fleets from small to large. I haven't heard one of them say, "Don't worry about it. We don't need legislation. Everything's okay." I haven't heard anyone tell me everything's okay, and it's not okay because people are struggling under under the spike in fuel. People are struggling under road user charges. People are struggling under the prospect of 
new environmental standards which are going to be imposed on them at some at some point in time mm. by those at the top of supply chains and how the hell are people going to pay for it yeah. unless we have a place to go to be able to say well yeah fine we understand all of that but don't expect us to pluck it out of our pockets it doesn't exist yeah. if if there's a community we want change if clients want change um, then they have to pay for it. And the only way they'll pay for it, they're not going to pay for it out of the goodness of their hearts. That much we know in our commercial negotiations as owner-drivers and, and fleets. The only way that they will pay for it is if they are compelled to pay for it through an order or if they know that if they don't pay for it, an order will be made. Yeah. Um, the threat of it is just as powerful as it actually happening oh, now. Couldn't agree more. That's what we want to happen. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. What I struggle with, though, is things like, and I'm not attacking anyone when I say this, I'm just pointing out the bleeding obvious. Um, we talk about, you were talking there before about tolls and capping them at $4,000 and, 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 and that sort of thing. For me, if if we're serious about getting the trucks onto the high, onto the motorways and keeping them off the streets, why are we charging trucks those huge tolls at all? I mean, there are, there are enough, there are enough um, other ways to fund this stuff. We pay monstrous... Uh, charges as far as the fuel rebates go, we're five cents a litre worse off now since the return of the fuel rebate. People don't understand Absolutely. that. Of course, and they, and they don't understand it because it doesn't make any sense. Why, yeah. are we pinging, why are we pinging the people that move our country? The, the answer is this, isn't it? That, Well, put it this way, one answer is this. Yeah. Uh, so it's always dangerous to say the answer because yeah. why, why would any person have the answer? But an answer is this, that um, if... As a community, we need money coming in through tolls yep. on our roads, through commercial trucking operations. Then those that reap the economic benefit of trucking operations, that is the clients and the customers, are the ones that should be paying the tolls, not Agreed. the truckies. I agree. But um, the thing and about that's, it is- And that's what this tribunal will – if we can get a tribunal in place, mm. we'll be able to go there and make this case. And that's that's really what we want to do. As long as it doesn't end up like last time, mate, I'll be, I'll be standing there shouting in support of it. But – as I said, I question the question the idea that we should be setting rates. I think we should maybe recommending rates, or maybe making sure that guys know what, what it costs them to actually turn the wheels. Well, I think I, I think that there's so many ways you can skin a cat on this. Oh yeah, of course. But the but but I don't think we should be talking about rates in the first instance at all. We should be talking. Well, put it sorry, we should be talking <laughs> about the gig economy rates. Yeah. Because those um, companies that are engaging people under gig arrangements mm -hmm. are really, really getting a, an economic advantage at the moment because they're paying them absolutely bugger all. So if they're if they're engaging people like uh, Amazon Flex, yep. we've got to deal with that. But in the heart of trucking, we shouldn't be talking about rates at all in the first instance. There may be a time down the track where we have guideline rates or something like that. But the first thing we need to do is deal with um, the the economic, uh, commercial and contractual pre pre uh, pressures that are on everyone, like payment times, for example. And if you want to, if you're ready to segue into Scots, that's probably not a bad time to do it because payment times uh, are one of the things that that brought Scots down. And 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 you know we had a tribunal that was on the cusp of making um, 30 day. I don't think it should be 30 day payments. I think it should be payment on delivery. Why not? Mm -hmm. But 30 day payments right across the industry, and then it was cut down. So we should we should deal with things like that in the first instance and see how that flows through. Right. Well, I do want to talk about Scots. What I'd like to do now is just take a little quick break because we've been going for 
15 minutes and I said, I only wanted you to fit for 15 minutes. So <laughs> we might need to just take a break for a second, grab a glass of water and we'll be right back if you're okay with that. Good stuff. G'day folks, it's Simon here from the Atlas Balance Company. Don't go thinking Atlas Balance Rings is just for you Lion Hall Express boys. This is for running around town, doing deliveries right through to stock and grain carriers, side tippers, low loaders, car carriers and logging rings. Check out atlasbalance.com.au and see the other operators you're passing on the open road. They're saving up to 50% of their tyre life. Remember, it's Atlas, it's balanced. Righto, we're back. I'm talking with Michael Kane. This is the man that's in charge of the TWI. Well, probably not in charge. The the members are probably in charge. You're just their mouthpiece, mate. Is that, is right. that right? <laughs> I'd never say I was in charge. That's the short part of being voted out. She'd be like herding cats, I think. I don't envy you at all. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. We've got a couple of things that I really would like to ask you with, and I appreciate you staying on because I know that you're a busy man. Let's just can I can I give Qantas a kick in first? Can we do that? Oh, it'd be an absolute pleasure. Well, mate, I was watching the television and I'm slowly going blue, and then I started to swear, and my other half said to me, "I'm going to turn the TV off if you keep this up." I'm listening to a news story about Qantas throwing their party after they've thrown a great proportion of their workers under the bus and onto the dole, taking a great heap of taxpayers' dollars to prop them up. And our, and our little mate is standing there with beams of smiles on his face. We're listening to, you know, international music artists singing songs and we're all standing around drinking wine and eating canapes. And I'm just about ready to explode. Qantas, mate. Seriously? Yeah, I know. And isn't this just an example about, um, about where things are at? You've got t- – I mean t- – if you're a passenger, you must be wondering what the hell's going on here. Yeah. If you're just an Australian in the Australian community, you're wondering what's going on. $2.7 billion worth of community support we gave Qantas through the pandemic. Yeah. That, that, that number, think about that number for a second. It's, <laughs> it's $2,700 million yeah. that, that was given to Qantas. And, and what, what do we see for it? We see um, black ties, champagne, caviar, Kylie Minogue. Mm. Um, and what, what's the other side of that? The other side of that is, let's just remember it, yeah. um, 1,700 workers illegally sacked, yeah. um, found twice by the federal court. Um, Qantas taking that case now to the high court. Mm. That'll be heard on the 9th and 10th of May, trying to overturn that decision. So these workers sitting on the sideline, feeling like they've been ki- kicked in the guts while they're watching the black ties and caviar. Mm. Um, and, 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 and what was the consequence of those people being sacked? Well, of course, we had absolute chaos at our airports, and we yeah. still do. Yeah. Um, and who who was blamed for the chaos directly by Alan Joyce? Passengers. Well, people remember that day, that Easter, about this time last year, yeah. Alan Joyce gets up and says, oh, passengers are not match fit. That's why there's delays. Yeah. Of course, it might have had something to do with the fact that he that his management team illegally sacked 1,700 workers who built the spirit of Australia. So we've got that going on. We've got fares going through the roof. We've got service standards going through the floor. Like you've got a better chance getting to your destination than your luggage, that's for sure. And and here we have this largesse of um, a $6 million extravaganza. Um, yeah. It just doesn't add up. And, you know, if ever, if ever um, anyone doubted whether – the time for Alan Joyce has come. Uh, the time for him to sail off into the sunset has come. Well, I'm sure when they saw the black ties and the caviars, they had the same response as you, mate. It's just outrageous. And no doubt the little will get a buddy. 
great big golden handshake when he goes as well. I was well, I was livid, mate. And just to finish that subject, because we really, I, I'm, I'm getting the hackles are going up now. But and I'm a righty, mate. Jesus Christ, I was wild. Um, <laughs> the, 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 that just smacked to me of let them eat cake. It really did. And I just, I mean, good God, can we just? Yeah. I, I've got nothing more to say, mate. I've got nothing more to add. I'm just going to get angry. Yeah, I know. Uh, Twenty-four million he's going to get when he goes out the door by all accounts. Oh, um, Jesus, mate! I, I won't even earn that in my entire life. Yeah, I, just, I mean, how much money do you need? That'll be about seventy-nine million that he's got in his uh, time at Qantas. Please, um, just you know, it's the mind boggles. It, it really does. Right, eh, mate, Scotts. Let's just kick this one around the table a little bit before we wrap up. Uh, word from uh, a story that I read in Owner Driver magazine was that the receivers are suggesting that Scots were trading insolvent since last May. Um, they've, they've certainly destroyed a, another good company. And I would say that, as you, as you rightly said, it is about uh, time payment schedules, mate, but it's got to be about rates. The race to the bottom has been stupid. Oh, it, it absolutely is about rates. I mean, it's it's about the squeeze um, from those that engage. You've, Scott's, everyone knows this, but just a bit of context. Mm. You know, Scott's had um, a tad over 40% of the refrigerated market in Australia. Yes. Just, just let that sink in for a second. And a company with that footprint in the middle of our uh, retail supply chains is unable to muster the commercial influence to be able to extract rates from the top of the supply chain that are sustainable. Now, that means we are in a world of pain. So when people are out there and they're quite rightly saying, you know, they're quite rightly say to me, Michael, we don't want, we don't want an RSRT that tells us what rate we have because we know that um, we know what rates we need. And, and sure, I understand that argument it, it, and it's powerful. But at the end of the day, what chance have we got as owner drivers and small fleets, et cetera, to extract a really a really sustainable price that has a reasonable margin for our, for the risk that we take on in our businesses when a company like Scotts that has 40% of the market can't do the same thing. So we've got real, real issues here, Mike. And, um, you know, that's why we say that reform is so, so damn urgent. I worry about the... Uh the employees' uh, entitlements, and I worry, I worry that the taxpayers are going to foot the bill for all that again if they haven't already. And uh, I wonder about what happens the next time we see one of these large uh, people, financial brokers or financial management companies or something that have got no interest in trucking at all except for the fact that it generates huge turnovers that they can sort of manipulate into other things. Am I being too cynical when I say that? No, you're not being cynical. I think that we have to bear in mind what, what the structure was here. Mm. Um, I'll come to the entitlements um, perhaps in a minute. But right, eh? let, let's, just, let's just think about the structure. Yes, we had the Anchorage uh, capital buyout, Anchorage a private equity firm. We know that private equity is unashamedly, unabashedly in business to make money. So yeah. there's no there's – no, there's no um, sense at all that um, when you get a private equity interest in a transport company that they have the interests of uh, the industry at heart. But we're not in our capitalist system. We're never going to be able to stop private equity taking um, some of our transport companies. So again, I shouldn't need to pitch, but I'm going to pitch. Again, that's another reason mm. that we need a place to go. 
um, so that when an Anchorage Capital gets hold of a company, we can make sure that Anchorage Capital does the best thing by that company. But we shouldn't blame Anchorage Capital solely. There are two other two other interconnected reasons here. Mm-hmm. The first is the one you nailed, and that is the customer pressure. So customer pressure means that Scotts doesn't have the commercial influence to extract a good price for the contract. The, the, the customer essentially imposes the terms and the price that it wants, and it's so um, so narrow, it's so um, uh, squashed um, that it's just not viable. Mm. And then to add insult to injury, of course, it starts elongating payment times. So it says to you, first of all, we're not going to pay for 30 days, then 60, then 90. We know that in Scott's cases, there were 120-day and 150-day contract terms with some customers. What what did that do? Of course, it required then um, Scott's to go to invoice funders, to debt funders like Scottish Pacific. And Scottish Pacific exists to provide money to companies who have elongated payment times on the invoices so that they can pay the bills in between uh, the work being done and the invoice being paid. And then, of course, they take a cut off the top of that. They do. Now, Now, your listeners will be very familiar with that, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't be familiar with it, Mike. This shouldn't. This shouldn't be what we have to resort to. We're not. We shouldn't be both transport companies and banks um, to service the customers um, and give them extra time um, with the money in their bank. That money should be coming straight to us as close to as possible at delivery. And that's another reason that they went down. Um, and it's another reason, of course, that it is the government through the Fair Entitlements Guarantee Scheme that is going to have to fund the entitlements of employees because Scott Pack is just going to wait for as much of the invoices to be paid and they're going to take that and they're going to put it in their pockets. And that's just outrageous. And it's outrageous too, of course, that we've got a Fair Entitlements Guarantee Scheme that only covers employees. Mm. So contractors and subcontractors known as drivers that are left in the lurch are left high and dry once again and again. That's why we need a place where we can go. You know what scares me the most about all of what you just said, Michael? What's that? I agree with every bloody word of it. (laughs) (laughs) When I was an owner-driver, I had to do a little bit of cash flow financing and it used to really crumb my cookies every time I watched that anywhere between 2 and 5% just disappear straight off my bottom line to, to be a finance company for a bloody customer that I had no choice but to take the rate from if I wanted to do the work. And if I didn't take the work, then I couldn't make enough money to keep the wheels turning. Used mm-hmm. to just really grind my gears, mate. Yep. And that's it. And that's the, that's the world that so many people listening to this are in. And it's the world we have an opportunity to transform. We've got to myth bust this stuff about the, about the RSRT, Mike, we because, do. We do. Um, because otherwise we will miss an opportunity to transform this industry for the better. And um, I'll do whatever I can to, and I'll face up to anyone who wants to have the discussion because yeah. there's some great input. And we do want the new body if we can get it up, to be fundamentally different and to have industry voices and driver voices right at the centre of it. And that's going to be be an absolute uh, must uh, for us as we're putting forward how we say it should look. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with me. I'm I'm going to wrap us up now because I've had you for 30 minutes, which is twice as long as you said that you'd give me. And I I so appreciate it. There is so much more that we could talk about. I apologise to the listeners if there are questions you're screaming at us right now that I could have asked Michael. I know that there are. I'd love to have you back on down the track if you've got the time. And uh, just thanks. Thanks very much for coming on. No, it's a pleasure, Mike. Happy to do it. Happy to do it on a regular basis. It's um, it's, it's great stuff to get um, 
to get uh, as much talked about as possible as we as we go through this. We've got a real opportunity here yep. um, to make a difference. And, um, you know, if, if we all work together and all pull in the same direction, um, we can hold those who are reaping the economic benefits here, yep. get some of that some of that economic benefit back into the industry and back into the pockets of the people that are listening would be fantastic. Well, I'm heading very much for the purple corner, mate. <laughs> Let's meet in the middle. Probably in the purple corner. <laughs> I don't know, mate. See ya. Take care. Thanks for that. Well, that was Michael Kane, National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, and he did really give me uh, a good 15 minutes longer than he promised me, and I appreciate that. If you've got questions that you want to ask, please feel free to send me a message and ask me, and I'll uh, get the answers for you. I did want to talk to Michael about uh, Aldi, but unfortunately I got a bit sidetracked and a little bit <laughs> a little bit excited about some of the other things, and I, and I simply forgot that's on me. Perhaps we'll get him back later on. All right, let's move on with the show. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Ken Wilson from Truck Friendly uh, to talk to. He's done this magnificent brochure about caravans and sharing the road with trucks, rest areas and all that sort of thing. He's right across it. He's just done a little bit of an expose on the Green Reflector program that we all know that Rod Hanafy put out, the thing we all know and love. We had a bit of a chat about that. We've crossed paths on Facebook and several times in social media, so I thought it was about time I got Ken in to have a chat. How's life up in Bundaberg, Ken? Oh, life's always great in Bundaberg, Mike. <laughs> Oh, raining down here, raining down here in Sydney today, right? It's just just a horrible day down here. Oh, we got the one of the world's most equable climates. The difference between summer and winter doesn't vary a great deal, so that's why we've got a very large uh, retired population up here, and it's it's fairly um, uh, economical to uh, to to live here as well. So been it's to, great. I've been up yeah. to Bundy a few times, mate. Been to the mill there and carted a few loads of sugar out of there. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. 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 And, uh, drank a bit of the fine product that comes out there as well. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the the Bundy rum is um, very, very popular. And I'll, I'll give you a tip. I had a client once who was a uh, distiller at the, the distillery. All right. Uh, keep your Bundy rum in the freezer. You might drink a little bit first before you uh, don't put it in a, a brand new bottle, but uh, um, put it in the freezer and you'll find it um, makes it more syrupy and enhances the flavour a little bit. Sure, um, sure it does. Yeah. I'm sure it does. Yeah. That's, that's a handy tip for those who are the Bundy aficionados. 
All right, well, mate, you've put out this brochure. Now, make it clear first, you're, you're, uh, you're a road user like all of us, but you're not a truck driver. What do you do? No, I've, I've got an MR licence, but uh, I wouldn't call myself a truck driver by any means. I'm, I'm a caravaner. Yep. Um, I uh, tow a caravan around. and um, uh, But um, what happened was um, how, how this all started was Jenny and I were uh, towing a caravan from Bundaberg up to Port Douglas. And we noticed there was a lot of um, uh, convoys of vehicles being held up by by caravanners and motorhomes, et cetera, travelling slow along the roads. Um, and you'll get two caravans travelling close together so, you know, people can't leapfrog around them. They've got to go around two big, long rigs of, uh, of uh, towed caravans. Yeah. So um, uh, we, we sort of had a bit of a chat and, and I said, well, geez, what we need to do is, is have a sticker on the back of our caravan saying that we're truck friendly and that we've got a UHF radio. Yeah. So the truck drivers know that they can call us up and we know what to do because um, uh, I started researching it all on uh, and contacting many truck drivers, including uh, your friend Rod Hannafay, right. uh, top, top bloke Rod. Um, and we've um, uh, got some tips, etc., on on what truck drivers prefer us to do and not to do, uh, so that we can all work together on the roads to try and make it a bit simpler, and and stop holding up other vehicles on the roads, which causes anxiety, causes stupid behaviour, and and dangerous overtaking, etc. Uh, it it just doesn't do anybody any good. Everybody gets their stress levels up. And with um, suicide and mental illness, one of the largest um, causes of fatalities in truck drivers, um, it's it's a real issue. Mm. So I started researching the the, the truck friendly um, idea, and um, so we came up with this large green sticker, uh, round sticker that goes on the back of your caravan. Now, the, the stickers are free, um, and um, they're available now at about fifty locations throughout Australia. There's a list on our website. Uh, and the the idea is that if you've got one of those large stickers on your the rear of your caravan, that uh, you've read the driving guides on the truck friendly uh, website and know how to interact with trucks, and you're not going to slam the brakes on as soon as a truck tr- comes up behind you. Yeah. Um, then um, it it makes life a lot lot easier. So the truck drivers can call them up, know that they're going to get a friendly voice at the end of the uh, at the end of the UHF, uh, and just work together to uh, to come around or or uh, overtake the caravan or for the caravan to overtake the truck. Good quality, sensible, effective communication is the easiest way to deal with things. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I can only apologise for those of my colleagues who are less than cooperative and less than nice. And I, I know that sometimes even I turn the UHF off because there's <laughs> a little bit of challenging behaviour on there sometimes. That's putting a bit of a, a mild understatement on <laughs> Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest complaints that that, that I hear um, from the caravanning community. But you'll find that the language is not always just truck drivers. Oh, it's no, it's all yeah. sorts. Um, you know, there's a lot of the flat top drivers around town who, um, you know, you, you'll always notice that the the swearing increases around larger uh, larger cities, oh, etc. Yes. Oh yes. Um, once you get on the highway, etc., the the average truck driver and the average caravan of that are normally fairly decent people and. Mm. And um, you know they have a bit of a chat, and some of them can real be real bloody funny buggers too. You know. Yeah, no, I've had some very very good chats with people towing caravans, particularly when my other other half and I used to run across to Perth all the time. Um, mm. Obviously, we used to encounter caravans out on the air highway uh, quite often, and sometimes yep. you'd want to go around them and 
that's that's a lot nicer when you can talk. Obviously, the biggest bone of contention between truckies and caravanners is the use of rest areas, and uh, it's a little bit of a tough uh, nut to crack, I think. Look, it, it is. Um, it's it's one of those things, and I've actually written a report uh, on that and uh, sent it to um, a lot of the stakeholders, including uh, Rod Hannafay, uh, Senator Carol Brown, um, every state and federal transport minister, and I think I flicked you uh, a, a copy of it just um, just recently. Um, and it basically details that that while ignorance and stupidity can be a large factor in it. There's also uh, a lot of confusion, etc., with signage and legislation. For, for example, the NHVL definition of a truck is a rigid vehicle designed to carry goods. Yeah. So I ask you, what is the definition, uh, what is the description of a, a Hilux and a BT-50 yeah. um, and, a, and a Ford Ranger? They're a rigid vehicle designed to carry goods. Yeah, yeah. So, so therefore, under the NHVL definition, every dual cab ute on the highway is 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 legally a truck. And then you've got heavy vehicles, are ones that are over four point five ton. But uh, I think Queensland is one of the only states I think that has a, a a definition on there designed to carry goods. Yeah. So you've got all these signs on rest areas that say truck rest area or something like that. Well. There's nothing legally there to stop the, the dual cab utes towing a caravan and that to park there. So we need proof in use signage uh, on these rest areas that can be backed up by legislation. You know, why can't the signs just say fatigue regulated vehicles only well, or commercial trucks only, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, that type of thing? It would remove a lot of the ambiguity and, and confusion. Sorry, even the signs, you know, you see the blue signs there with the silhouette of a semi-trailer uh, with a P over the top of it. You know, people say, oh, yeah, that's for truck parking only. Well, no, if you go onto the Queensland government website, it just says that it's an area... Uh, suitable to park a truck. It doesn't say for trucks only. So the legislation and the signage all needs to be upgraded. I'm not for once trying to make excuses on no, people no, just no, being no. bloody ignorant. No. Um, but I think if we're going to clean up the industry, let's let's clean up the, the the signage and the legislation to make it you know foolproof because idiots are too too damn ingenious. <laughs> the trouble with it is, mate. I think that there's a lot of this stuff has been been created and. Uh, without putting too fine a point in that there hasn't been a been a hell of a lot of thought going into some of it. And well, I there's think not, that, not a lot of consultation no, either. And I'm, no. I'm hoping that this new federal government uh, committee um, will, um, you know, shed some light because it's uh, including a lot of truck drivers and that sort of stuff in there, you know. Yeah, well, uh, I'd certainly like to have been involved in that as well. So because there's obviously a flow over to uh, recreational vehicles, et cetera, in, in different areas. Well, there is. Well. We, we can uh, we can look at a couple of uh, well uh, one rest area in particular that I know really did draw the ire of the New South Wales uh, authorities and truck drivers and everyone and that was the rest area at Arrawarra. Are you familiar with that one? No, I'm not. Uh, no, it's a it's a quite a large rest area. There are uh, it's split into several parts. One for cars, and there's a bit there for caravans, and there's another big bit for trucks. But the caravans were were going into the truck area, and basically camping around the outside of the truck area. Um, and unfortunately, when they did that, uh, reduced the room so that the B doubles didn't have the swing room to, to get right, through. Yeah. So yeah. the B doubles for those who are listening that don't know uh, much about what what the trucks are. B double is one with two trailers. They can be twenty six meters in length, and they weigh you know up to sixty eight ton. These things uh, they require a certain amount of space to get around, and 
I mean, there was video, dash cam video of people driving through there in trucks trying to trying to get through and trying to park in the parking areas there. I mean, a couple of caravanners had taken up a couple of truck parking areas on one video I saw and they had their awnings out parked side by side mm. and taken up three parking areas between the two of them. Yeah, that comes back to, you know, clear and enforceable signage. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, um, I, could, I must say that uh, some guys take that and it get, gets very colourful from time to time. I mean, it, uh, and I don't support that behaviour, but at the same time, it's it's also nice to remember that truckies are mandated to have rest breaks. And that's something I really like about your brochure that you've pointed that out. Thank you. Yeah, we've got we've got the new one um, just coming out uh, that uh, Oricom uh, have jumped on board, and we, uh, you know, we're I'm a Jenny and I are, are, are private individuals. We get no government funding. We get uh, uh, no corporate sponsorship. I'm still working. My wife is still working uh, to to try and pay the bills, uh, the household expenses, and also the uh, the the costs involved with running this program. And it's it, we've created this huge elephant um uh you know it, it's it's gone massive um but the the brochures um oricom have jumped on board and said that they'll um, they'll print the brochures for us because there's you know obviously sort of some benefits in it for them mm. um and the the brochure is just a very brief um outline of um the, the program and um some uh, some advice for uh, people towing caravans etc um, on communication, overtaking lanes, the use of truck stops, um, travelling in convoy, um, and even entering traffic. But the um, the uh, one of the big things with the the new brochure is that um, with uh, Oricom, they've also uh, offered a fifteen percent discount to uh, anybody purchasing items over the uh, their website uh, if they use the the coupon code TF fifteen. So they get fifteen percent discount for the truck friendly, fifteen um, percent discount. So that that sort of encourages people to use the UHF radios, etc. As well. Well, I see that it's got the tire monitoring system there, and the UHF radio, and the code is TF fifteen. I'll put that in the show notes where you go. So you go and you buy your bits and pieces from Oricom, use that code, and you know that that helps support everyone in that's involved. So. Yeah, we've we've been very big supporters of um, using uh, UHF radios and communication on the roads, mm. and it's 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 vital too that that um, you know the truck drivers uh, have a listen to uh, any caravaners trying to make contact to them, yeah, uh, and also uh, you know the caravaners listening to uh, any trucks trying to contact them. Uh, so there's information on our website on on communication etc. and how to do that clearly and safely there's a big uh, thing with truck drivers they say oh caravaners should stay off channel 40 well um my my argument with that is that you're not going to hear wide loads you're not going to hear the trucks trying to contact you if you're exactly. not monitoring 40 so exactly. yeah the things like the um the oricom uh, dual receive uhf radio for example you can uh, monitor two channels at once a lot of them you know do scanning etc as well these yeah. days but you can listen to uh, mon always monitor channel 40 um and a, a very quick chat on 40 but if you want to have a talk about the wildflowers and where you're going to stay tonight then swap over to channel 18 or some other channel that um, is not going to upset uh, everybody else on a on a working a working channel site you know well that's that is what it is i suppose i mean you're driving along and you you know i, I don't want to hear mavis and john talking about where they're going to pull up and have a, their rest and i mean it's look fair's fair if it's only a few seconds no one really cares 
but when yeah, the conversation's right. gone on for five minutes, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, starts to get a bit old. <laughs> yeah, you get some complaining that oh, the, there was a wide load and mm. I didn't get any warning. Well, if yeah. you're not listening to Channel Forty, you're not going to hear it. And yeah. Usually, you can hear him talking to other vehicles, etc., and you've got an idea that there's one in the vicinity. So, yeah. well, that's uh, if the you're other monitoring plus. Forty, you can hear it. Yeah. Well, that's the other plus too. The pilots yeah. will help you get around safely. And well, the the last thing you want to do is go around a bend and find a six meter. Uh, wide load in front of you and you've got you know big drop-offs on the side of the road and nowhere yeah. to pull off so yeah. the earlier the warning the more chance you've got of finding somewhere to pull over and um, have a cup of tea until it uh, mm. until it gets past you yeah look and i suppose the other key tip with getting overtaken by a truck we really it really does make it hard for us if you slow down and move to the left we're trying to maintain our momentum and people don't realize that we can change our momentum just with slight changes in the gradient of the road and it's all about it's all about passing speed because we most of us can't do over a hundred. Uh, That's right. Yeah, so. you, a lot of people don't realise too with the trucks. You know, they're, they're speed limited, mm. etc. Even on the overtaking lanes, you know, if, if you pull over to the left hand side, and once the uh, the the truck or the other vehicle is going to overtake you, is in the overtaking lane, then then just back off the accelerator a bit, and it just gives them a little bit more space then to to get around you safely. Because the last thing you want to do is have an argument at the end of the lane on who's going to go in front. You know. Yeah. Well, that's that's the other issue too. Look, and everyone knows, when I towed my caravan, I used to tow a dirty great big cell, a cell peninsula mm. I used, I, I used, I've only just sold it actually um, and gone back to an a off-road camper because we want to go and do some more off-road stuff rather than highway stuff. Mm. And um, towing that behind my four-wheel drive, it was a little bit of a challenge sometimes, particularly if it got a little bit windy. And I used to like to tool along at about you know, 85, 90 because that was the good place for it to be and the fuel economy was great and Yep. As good as it could be. But the fact is that people catch you all the time. And sometimes I would be going up a hill, you know, I'd try and speed up so to let the trucks know. And obviously I had a UHF and, and I knew how to deal with the trucks. And sometimes even I got confused, you know, with what, what, what these guys were trying to do. And yeah. at, sometimes you would find yourself pulling away from them going up a rise. Well, the reality of it is, is that you have to understand that if the guy can catch you and he gets past you, he's not going to hold you up. He's not going to yeah, be that's there right. very yeah. long. Yeah, if he's if he's following you, he's following you for a reason mm. because he's caught up with you. you yeah, know? that's so right. So just let him get on the way, and you don't well, you don't have to stress so much um, about wondering when they're going to overtake. You know, the other part about this too, everyone's happy. We're not arguing the point. We're not. You know, yeah, everyone's happy when they when everyone's smiling and happy. We're all better. And that's yeah. I love talking on the radio to yeah. some of the truckies. I had an incident the other day where I I pulled over into the the left hand lane in a, in a overtaking lane situation and um there was a little um barina blue barina in front of the big b double yep and um uh, a couple of cars went went past me and i'd backed off and to let these other ones pass and the barina saw the sign saying 500 500 meters left lane ends or something like that yeah and um so he slammed on the brakes and the b double nearly ran up the rear of him you know And I thought, mate, you've got plenty of time. If you just put your foot down a bit, you would have got around me and the B-double got around. But yeah. no, oh, so, yeah. the B-double driver and I had a good chat with that. You know, yeah, about that. And I think he, he had to change his underpants, I think. Oh, anyway. yeah. Well, sometimes yeah. I've, I've had the experience myself out around Broken Hill. Um, I was out there on a road train and uh, these, this guy in this, uh, only a fairly small caravan, saw me coming and thought, oh, I'll, I'll – Slow down and let you let you go around. He's moved over on a bend on double lines mm. where I can't see. 
I've got two trailers of steel on. Yep. And um, oh, heart in the mouth stuff. I missed him by a coat of the paint, by a coat of paint, and yeah. I'm on the wrong side of the road. You know. Um, yeah, I, I, I rarely, I rarely overtake a truck when I'm in the caravan. Very, very rarely. Yeah. Um, normally, if there's one there that's got probably going a little bit slow, then you know, I'll pull over and have a cup of coffee or you know, yeah. um, have a biscuit or something. But um, you know, the the big problem is that a lot of caravanners don't realise the the air movement around the big vehicles. You know, you've got the air dam in the front, and then you've got the suction at the back. So. Um, and to, to pass a truck at uh, you know at highway speeds, you'd normally have to really put the boot into it, and um, that that's when you you get the caravan sway with that air movement and, and high speed. And there's many many videos on dash cam sites uh, of caravans rolling over, and you'll see them. They get past the truck, and then that's when the sway starts. As soon as they hit that air dam in the front of the truck yeah. at high speed, so we're, we're trying to educate caravanners on all those sort of aspects of it as well. We would like to go back to basics. I'm a great believer in fix the problem, not the symptom. Yes. Too many people with caravans, etc., they rely on aftermarket equipment. Like I'm all for electronic sway prevention. Uh, put the you know have that fitted to your vehicle, but too many people rely on it to to solve the problem instead of fixing the the weight distribution which is actually causing the sway because you, you talk to the guys at Clayton's Towing here in Queensland and um, they they still recover just as many vehicles, their caravans with trailer sway connected, mm. uh, fitted to them and, you know, they just shake their head, well, there's another one that, that it didn't fix. Yes, it'll help with, with minor sway, but it, it's not going to stop your caravan from rolling over when you have a major, a major problem. And, and speed's another issue. You know, Western Australia, towing a caravan, you're restricted to 100k. And in New South Wales, if you've got a GVM or GCM over 4.5 tonne, you're actually restricted to 100 kilometres an hour. Yeah, so those towing, basically that includes almost every caravan on the road in New South Wales. So you're restricted to 100 kilometres an hour in New South Wales. Why we don't have standard road rules throughout Australia uh, blows my mind. Um, you know, you've got to stop at the border and read the, the, the road manual um, to see what you can and can't do and strange legislation yeah. for that particular state. It, it, it's just crazy, you know, and that goes for the, the truck stops and that as well. We yeah. need national um, national um, type legislation on it. I don't think in New South Wales, I don't think they've got any legislation that refers to heavy vehicle rest areas. And then yet they're saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, people should stay out of them. That will legislate the bloody thing, you know. Trouble with it is, as we've already said, and we're banging on yes. about it, it's, it's all yeah. about the education. That's what needs to happen. It's yeah. all about communication. That's what needs to happen. I will say to you, if you're listening and you're a truck driver listening, please, you know, UHF 18, UHF 40, be civil and be nice and communicate if you're a caravanner please do what you can and and uh, just keep it in your lane and the best thing you can do when someone's trying to overtake you just lift your foot off that's the best thing you can do wait till he gets right out beside you and then just lift off that's all you got to do that's it. it it's it's pretty simple stuff you know i don't want a, a big b double sitting beside me on the road two feet from a, a driver's door uh back off and let him get around you know there's probably something nice written on the back of his truck that i can look at <laughs> But, but um, you know, the, um, 
the one one of the with the the, the website and the the Facebook page of Truck Friendly, um, I'm always interested in in listening to what the the truckies have to say, yep. so long as it's civil. The uh, the Truck Friendly uh, Facebook page is a family site, so I won't stand for any bad language or bullying or or anything like that. And not all caravanners are idiots, and not all truck drivers are idiots. There are idiots driving all those sort of vehicles, but um, uh, the ones who are following the Truck Friendly site are probably ones who want to do the right thing. So by all means, you know, get on there. We've got um, just in the short time we started in June 2019, we've got over 22,000 Facebook followers. Um, so we must be doing something that that is gelling with that demographic. There's government programs, for example, that um, we've only got about 750 followers that started around the same time. So you wonder, is that government money well spent? But anyway, that's a whole other issue. I've been watching the show called Utopia. Have you seen that show? No, I haven't. No. Oh, mate, it's a, it's a political satire. It's done by the ABC. It's on it's on Netflix. Oh, right. And yep. a, a good God, mate, it's almost like a documentary. Yeah. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's about it's about government organisations. Yeah, we wonder uh, sometimes about you know sort of is that money being well spent, etc., yeah. and how much consultation was was done in. You know, you get the lobby groups and that to sort of come in, but you get some some people that just don't gel with the um, the demographic. And now I know it's not politically correct and all that sort of stuff, but when you've got you know very young girls telling seventy year old caravanners how to tow a caravan, it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't just doesn't work. gel. You know, doesn't work. Um, right. They may be, they may have all the the experience, they may have all the information and all that sort of stuff and be very good at their job. I'm not knocking it, but you've got to look at the demographic. We're still, um, you know, it's got to perceive to be coming from someone with authority, et cetera. Yeah, you're right. Ken, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up. The Truck Friendly website, you want to go through your contact details for us, please? Yeah, Truck Friendly Caravan Road Safety Program. Uh, just do a quick search of Truck Friendly on the Facebook page. The website is truckfriendly.com.au. Um, you can contact me at any time at admin at truckfriendly.com.au and uh, you'll find a, um, a phone number um, on our Facebook page or um, website. Uh, always happy to have a chat. Yeah. And go to the Oricom website to buy your tyre pressure monitoring system or your CB radio yep. and use the code TF15. And get 15% discount off it, yep. All right, mate. Well, don't be a stranger. You've got my phone number now. Give me a call anytime you like and we'll have a bit of a chat. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate your time. Cheers, mate. Stay safe. All right. That was Ken Wilson from Truck Friendly. Now, the talk about Oricom and all that there, if you go and get your stuff from Oricom, that money goes to, to Ken to support them. None of that was sponsored by us and certainly we don't receive any of those funds. It's all for Ken. And the reason why I'm talking to Ken is because He's doing something that helps truckies out, doing something that helps caravans out, something that we need to know about. All right, let's get on with the show. Hi there, this is Bob McMillan. A lot of people are uh, talking about how the industry's broken and debating and opinionising about what needs to be done. When you consider that I stood to be corrected uh, the other night by um, 
my dear mate Sleepy when uh, he said that uh, I left out talking about how the big blokes bailed out on us all in 1979. I did mention it in passing, but uh, it's true. Like The union turned their back on us. The All the associations representing the companies, the LDRTA, the ARTF, all the state road transport associations as they were known then, they all turned their back on us and walked away but not one single member of any of those organisations volunteered to continue paying road tax the, uh, the day after uh, Razorback ended. So uh, if you want my personal view, the, there's, the industry's been broken, well, it was broken then from the top down, and it still is. The union mean well. They're going on about setting rates and doing this and doing that and quoting all these spurious figures about fatigue uh, offences and, and road deaths. Well, it's a fact that 80% of deaths involving heavy vehicles did not are not the fault of the heavy vehicle. It's also a fact that all those uh, fatigue offences that are being quoted, I would offer my opinion that uh, probably close to 70%, if not 75% of them are clerical errors and should, should not even be happening. Until we get some proper research done and get some proper figures around it all, where should we start? Well, I think the... Uh, if you go back to uh, you go back beyond Coots's, you know what happened with uh, the companies owned by the Murray. I've forgotten the name of one of them. Actually, there were two, and then there was uh, the Phoenix companies of um, Viking Transport, and then you know, and then you can go right through to uh, Red Star. And I think the industry's been broken from the top down for a long time. But then that's probably not totally correct either, because you've only got to look at Peter and Tom Lindsay and the empire they built, Les and Judy Blenner, Terry and Daphne Nolan. And, and I could go on and on. There's been some people make some serious money out of road transport. We've got to look at the people that are stripping it bare. And I don't know what it is that attracts them, but I suspect they only look at one side of the ledger, and that's the turnover. And, you know, even my experience, the uh, I, I was surprised, you know, as time wore on and I got my debt under control and built equity in my business, I was surprised that the turnover I was able to achieve with just myself and a Mac Superliner and a BFFF fridge fan outfit. I had some good people behind me and some good customers that stuck with me, but uh, it was a two-way street. They were they stuck with me and I stuck with them, and between us we uh, we achieved. I think we need to have a closer look at what's going on, and uh, I need to uh, do a bit more research to share some history with you all. Because in 78, they were, there was an inquiry and then there was another one in 79 and 80. And then I think I've got about five or six or seven, maybe even seven copies of inquiries that have been done into road transport, not only from the point of view of owner-driver remuneration, but from the point of view of structure and investment and all that sort of thing. And um, there is a serious problem, but it's not necessarily with the people doing the right thing. It's with the people coming in here and trying to do the wrong thing for their own benefit, their own gain and their own um, to satisfy their own greed. You know, the Fox family, Lindsay Fox, one of the biggest, Lindsay and Peter and the, the whole crew, one of the biggest privately owned companies of any description in the world, especially in transport. And, uh, you know, the list goes on. So not everything's wrong with road transport. But what is wrong needs fixing, and I think we need to start from the top down, not the bottom up. Thank you for listening. I have a little PS to this, uh, or postscript as I should call it, uh, to this week something to talk about. Maybe some days we could call something to talk about, something to think about, so that's what I'm, uh, that's probably the role I'm playing right now. You'll be hearing this uh, podcast on Easter Thursday, and happy Easter to everyone.
But last Sunday, the 2nd of April, uh, was the 44th anniversary of Razorback. And uh, you all know my thoughts about Razorback and the six fellows that made that happen, the five originals plus Carl when he joined. And uh, it just uh, often crosses my mind that we might need to sort of reflect a bit on the actual, the actual sort of factuality of it all. And it might help us go forward and help the industry and whoever is trying to put it right to make some better decisions that have been made in the past because there's a lot of stuff that seems to be repeating itself. And uh, we all know that anything like Razorback can never happen again because after Razorback and subsequent skirmishes right up till uh, 1988, uh, the New South Wales government in particular and all the other governments around the place and the federal government have... Uh, certainly taken steps to prevent things like that happening again and uh, also the uh, the roads have been widened and um, yeah there's all sorts of barriers to it ever happening again but anyway it just often beggars belief to me that uh, with all those big companies and and wealthy operators that were part of the the large associations like the LDRTA and the uh, ARTF and the state RTA state road transport associations and um the freight forwarders and the, 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 the ship, shipping agents and all those people that used to get together at, around the bar and the political hangouts and conferences they used to hold. They never ever thought to or were earnest enough to come up with a solution to the road tax problem. But it took six salt-of-the-earth blokes who were viewed by the general public as a couple of, you know, as an, a, a group of baggy-ass subcontractors from Western Sydney and they were no, nothing like that. They were just six of the best blokes you could ever wish to meet. But why is it that it took those six blokes to deal with the problem when there was all those other people in the industry with the money and the clout and the influence and the contacts and yacht club memberships and the journalist club memberships and all the places they used to congregate? Why is it they couldn't come up with an answer and those six men on Razorback did? I think it's something we all need to reflect upon and, uh, uh, you know, as part of our gratitude to those six blokes, make sure that it, the problems never get to that depth of despair again. Something to think about, something to talk about. Best wishes to you all for Easter. This is Pepper from Hurricane Fall and you're listening to On The Road Radio and Podcast. Here on the road, it's time for the news. Well, here we are once again gathered round the news desk for our weekly serve of the latest in trucking and life in general. Mike, good morning. What's happening in your world? Well, I'm just sort of sitting quietly down here in my little shed office and, and enjoying the uh, the uh, general vibe of what's going on on the, on the internet because I'm not driving trucks at the moment, obviously, with the shoulder, so yeah. Mm-hmm. It amazes me what passes for news, mate. It really does. Well, I heard a bit of that on Saturday night on the radio, mate, with what's uh, coming out of news.com. News.com.au. I, I just like to have a look at it for a laugh. Yeah, it's fair a, enough. It's incredible. So Easter time has rolled around again, Mike, and it feels like it's only a year since the last one. Exactly. It is. It is. Well, it is only a year since the last time. So. Yeah. It happens. There's a very real possibility that we won't see hide nor hair, pardon the pun, of the Easter Bunny this year, mate. <laughs> Why's that? Well, as you know, with the cost of living blowing out the way it is, hmm. even legendary figures like the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy are having to curtail their usual global travels as they're tightening their belts and looking to reduce their costs wherever possible. Well, those road user charges and fuel user charges are getting up there, I can understand it. All of that. Well, in the case of the Easter Bunny, when asked if he'd be making his usual scheduled deliveries this Easter, he replied, 
No, I won't be, and you can blame that on the ridiculous hair fairs. <laughs> Simply can't afford it. Can't afford it, mate. Oh, Jesus. Can we get on with the news, mate? I can't cope. And meanwhile, back at the news, over the Easter holiday period, some travel restrictions have been put into place in some states and territories that will limit the movements of some Class 1 heavy vehicles. Yep, that's that time of the year when people are going to be driving around and going and crowding themselves in little caravan parks and camping areas because they just want to get away from it all. And in the case of Queensland, cursing because it's pouring with rain. Well, yeah, that's right, that's right. So in Queensland at the moment, there's no movement for oversized vehicles or combinations allowed from 12.01 Thursday night uh, through to 11.59 Tuesday, April the 11th. Some heavy vehicles obviously can get exemptions to the general restrictions, but Mm. you need to know who you are and where you're going. Uh, There are obviously some sectors that really can't wait for for their loads and and things like that. If you've got an oversized vehicle, do yourself a favour, to coin a phrase, and uh, check your permit because you might find yourself with an eye-watering fine if you go against what Queensland have got to say. New South Wales slightly different. Uh, there, there is a curfew uh, on public holidays, normally anyway, uh, wider than 2.5 or longer than 22 metres. Yeah, well, thank goodness they're doing it different in New South Wales. We couldn't have the states all doing the same thing. Oh, the God, time. no, we couldn't do that. Everyone would know what was going on, wouldn't they? <laughs> Heaven forbid. Yeah. The first sod has been turned this week on a massive infrastructure project in the Sunshine State, funded by the Queensland and federal governments with Stage 1 of the M1 duplication underway between Coomera and Helensvale. Federal Transport Minister Catherine King says the highway will go a long way to fight congestion. I don't know about that. Every time we build a new bit of road, it just moves the congestion from one point to another, doesn't it? No, absolutely. I don't know. Stage 1 North is is shipper drive Coomera to Helensvale Road. And that's now underway. Stage 1 Central is Helensvale Road to Helensvale Road, Smith Street, Motorway, Molendinar. Is it Molendinar? You're a Queenslander. Is that how you pronounce that one? Molendina. Molendina. Yeah. They're going to expect that one to start later in the year. And obviously, Stage 1 South is from Smith Street, Motorway, Molendina to Narang Broadbeach Road. And that's in design. So we don't expect to see that one anytime soon. Uh, the construction notices are out there. It's 216 billion-dollar plan they've got to build the Coomera connector between Coomera and Narang. A lot of money. It is. Well, between the Bruce Highway and the M1, you won't be able to travel anywhere out of Brisbane, north or south, without getting caught up in roadwork somewhere now. Oh, look, it's bloody ridiculous, mate. And the worst part about it is, for those of us now who are trying to comply with our electronic work diaries, you just can't Hmm. predict the travel times. Hmm. And... uh, you know, you get caught short one end or the other uh, and you've got no depth in the team if you're an owner-driver and you get caught short, you're basically screwed. <laughs> That's it. And we pay for all this stuff. It's unbelievable. Anyway, yeah. moving on, mate. Earlier this week, Mike, a horrendous crash in Victoria saw a semi-slam into a tanker on Robinson's Road in Melbourne's west, leaving the occupants in both trucks trapped until they could finally be freed from the wreckage by emergency workers. What a frightening bit of video that was. I'll tell you what, it was a big hit, wasn't it? It was an amazing piece of uh, footage. Saw it there on on 7 News. Uh, You can find it there if you go and have a bit of a look. Sparked Mm. a little bit of mayhem in Derriment. The the box carter sailed through the uh, stop sign by the look of it. Reckoned he had no brakes. He didn't do a hell of a lot to avoid the incident. I suppose he just... Like most people, just gripped the steering wheel firmly and pushed the pedal as far as he could to the floor and went, oh my God, we're not stopping. And by then, 
it was all over. People often mm-hmm. don't get time to think about it, do they? No. Tanker driver uh, also got carted away, flipped it over onto the side. I suppose it's a testament to the fact that these guys were probably wearing their seatbelts in that cab over, but I'll tell you, that they were lucky they weren't. Just, you know, you're first on the scene in a cab over. Yeah. And lucky to get away with it all, I think. Biggest hit I've seen uh, like that for, for quite some time. Well, one in hospital, I believe, in a stable condition and the other one's still in a critical condition. Yeah, yeah. And look, it never ends well. And yeah. we have to wonder, I mean, obviously there'll be an investigation now, but a local box carter, we have to wonder about what his maintenance regime's like. He reckons he ran yeah. out of brakes. That doesn't happen in five minutes. Yeah. For sure. Very, mm. very sad. It is sad. Uh, look, it's always sad, mate, but we've got to learn from this sort of stuff. Mm. And and each thing is a case in it's a case on its own. If that accident happened with a light aircraft, there'd be a transport safety bureau investigation that would last for a while and would get down to the actual reason why that accident happened. Mm. And I think it's about time. I don't think that every accident should be investigated by the Transport Safety Bureau. I do believe that with some of these accidents, we end up pointing the finger at the wrong people, and it's time to drill down a little bit further and find out exactly what happened and why it happened. Yeah. Uh, and we've obviously got to get this chain of responsibility stuff right. We can't keep having things like old mate from Connect Logistics walking away from what happened there on the Eastern Freeway. That, yeah. you, you just can't have that anymore. The chain of responsibility has got to be a chain, and the only way you can get all the evidence is with a proper investigation. Accidents like that one at that intersection are a good place to start. Spot on. Well, Mike, not long now until the Brisbane Truck Show, and like previous years, our great friends at NTI will be showing off their latest beautifully restored classic vehicle nicknamed Daphne to be auctioned off to raise funds for motor neuron disease research. What a stunning-looking machine she is, too. What a colour! Burnt, burnt orange, would you call that? Well, no, burnt orange. I don't know if you'd call it burnt orange. It's, it's got to be something. It's a, it's a 1954 model truck. It's one of those things that you see in a, like a classic hot rod mag- magazine or something, isn't it? It's an unusual looking beast. It is an unlook, unusual looking beast. It's sort of, it, it's not a, it's not an ugly truck, but for me, it's not an attractive one. You know what well, I mean? It looks like it couldn't make up its mind whether it wanted a bonnet or not. Yeah. Looks like someone just knocked the nose off a of Bedford to me. But anyway, I, I mean, I don't know. It was spotted on a farm in the US and brought to Australia. It's been named Daphne. Uh, mm. It's the sixth truck in the uh, line of trucks that NTI have raffled off and given away at the at the truck show, all to uh, raise funds for motor neuron. You just can't fault them for what they do. They do an excellent restoration on it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, they end up being a, a truck that's – they're not really restored. They're sort of – they're old panels on new new chassis and motors and things like that. So they're, they're almost a daily driver, aren't they, if you want to? Oh, they are. Well, I had a good look over the one last year when I was at the show, and yeah. it was spectacular. Everything was modern. Motors, gearboxes, yeah. brakes, suspension. It was like driving a brand-new car that looked like an old one. I'm sure this one will be no exception. Yeah, well, I saw the jail bar on mm. a trailer being delivered to its new owner. Mm. And uh, very, very, very interesting. Matt Stone, Matt Stone Racing added that it, he thought it was a, a bonus to have such a fun project and for a good cause. I mean, everyone everyone gets into it. I just love it. You've got to applaud NTI for doing it. And uh, they've raised over $1.5 million in the last five years for MND, so research. So good on them. Oh, it's a great thing. And, and you've got to applaud Matt Stone Racing too. In the early stages of the new season, desperately trying to get competitive cars together for the supercars and, and then still yeah. managing to put something out like this in the process. And it yeah. is in its own way, just a beautiful looking rig. 
She's hot lava orange, they call it, the colour. Okay, there you go. It's a 1954 Chevrolet cab over engine body on a 1969 Chevy C20 pickup chassis. And uh, the truck's mid-century, but she's got modern features. She's got a 460-horsepower LT1 Chevy engine in it, mate. That's a bit of a Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah. Well, I'm still dirty after last year. If I ever catch up with that lady that won my truck last year... Anyway, you get uh, that. You do get that. Any late breakers for us, mate? I've got a picture. <laughs> Good for you. Because, <laughs> you know, we talk about all sorts of stuff all the time. Mm. I, I just wanted to share one with you, right? It's, it's things to think about, it's called. Mm. And and since you've got a dog or a couple of dogs, and I've got a couple of dogs, yeah, this is something that's. I saw this picture, and this is in the. Uh, this is something that occupies my mind now. When I throw, I'm sitting in the back porch throwing the ball for the dog. Mm. What if your dog brings the ball back because he thinks that you like throwing it? Well, I'm sure at least one of mine has that attitude. Yeah, no doubt. It makes you wonder. Mm. Right, just anyway, it's your turn, buddy. I'm going to leave that now. We're, we're a little bit over time on the news today, so yeah, I'll, I'll ponder on that one for a little while. You should. Meantime, thought for the week: mm. never cling to a mistake just because of the time and effort you put into making it in the first place. <laughs> I'm good at that. Mm. I'm so good at that. Yeah. My mistake. I'm precious about it. Leave it alone. That's right. That's right. No, I'm not wrong, and I will not admit it to anyone. I thought I was wrong once, but it turned out I was mistaken. That's right. Yeah. Great to have you on, mate. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a good one, mate. Talk and, soon. Uh, we'll see you down the track. Hooray. It's time to play another song from our featured music artist this week, the very cool Rachel Whitchurch. Here she is, teaming up with the also very cool Kevin Bennett with Used to Think I Was an Outlaw.
Sundays for the Lord. Praise and I try to read the good book, but I should read it more. And I pray you'll have mercy, because that's the only way I'm getting through the door. I used to think I was an Kermie here from Trucking with Coom. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. 